Hello, and welcome to the Platform Podcast, hosted by Market Place Risk Advisory Board Chair, L. Tucker, a former journalist who writes, speaks, and consults on all things startups. The Platform Podcast features conversations with founders, operators, and experts tackling a myriad of topics facing the marketplace and sharing economy startup ecosystem. Please note this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not professional advice. For specific issues, please seek an appropriate professional or contact us at info at marketplacerisk.com for more information. And now, without further ado, I will hand things over to Elle. Hello, and welcome back to Series 7 of the Platform Podcast. In today's first episode of the new series, I am welcoming Colin Gardner. He is a new member of the Marketplace Risk Advisory Board, as well as a Marketplace Advisor and Consultant, and he has a long history of advising marketplaces, including Outdoorsy and uh, Romely as well, is, is a client. So, Colin, welcome to the Platform Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now that was a, a lengthy introduction, but it it really just reflects your uh, your knowledge in this space. And I, I know you've been working with marketplaces for for quite a while. So without giving away your age, Colin, because we don't do that on the podcast, um, tell me a bit about how you got into this world. Because I, I've been in this space for a while, and and you know, early stage marketplaces were, you know, a little bit a little bit clunky. So how how far does it go back for you? Yeah. So you know. I actually have been working in marketplaces in the sense of studying them for a long time. Uh, out of uh, out of college, I was actually hired at the Federal Reserve um, Bank of San Francisco, and my uh, main job was focused on studying the labor market in the United States. So that's really where I, you know, cut my teeth with uh, marketplaces just generally. Uh, but from there, I ended up getting into tech and working for a company called Just Answer, which was, you know, I think uh, an like an older uh, horizontal marketplace now that really, you know, allowed you to ask a, you know, a doctor, a vet, a lawyer, uh, any of these different kinds of services, a question uh, and get an answer back. Uh, so one of the kind of the first in that space wow. um, but from there, um, you know, went on and worked at a couple different companies, but, you know, more recently was at a vacational marketplace called tripping.com uh, then at outdoorsy uh, for I mean, about five years doing, um, um, marketplace work as well. Um, and we spun out a company called Romley, which is an insurance company as well. Uh, and then from there, I've been uh, advising marketplaces, uh, just a, a large number of them. And it's kind of what I love to do day to day is uh, talk shop and marketplaces. And be a good <laughs> well, you've come to the right place then. Um, so I know. <laughs> that's brilliant. So just to go back to, to the early stages, this just answer, did you say it was called? Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. So, I mean, has that survived? Is that still a thing? It is still around today. You can still go on and ask a doctor, a lawyer, uh, you know, any kind of service, a question. Um, you know, I think since then, there's been a lot of vertical specific players. And I think this is always interesting for marketplaces that go horizontal. Is there's always a disruption risk of people going vertical and very specific on you. Um, so, yeah, still around today, still doing business. And uh, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because, it, you know, that vertical horizontal thing, I think, you know, back in the day when people were just coming up with these marketplace ideas, the tendency was to go pretty horizontal, wasn't it? Um, just, to, you know, to sort of get maybe interest or range or make people sort of understand the offering. What 
what have you seen over the years you've been working in marketplaces when it comes to vertical versus horizontal? Are there trends or um, has one kind of taken over from the other? How does it work in your mind? Yeah, I think, um, you know, horizontal marketplaces is going to be hard to defend. But if you get a massive network effect, it is doable. Um, but I think you think Craigslist, eBay, any of these ones, you, you have seen them get splintered, right? People cleave off these large portions of GMV and high value portions and focus on them, right? And deliver a better product. Uh, it's just overall in a horizontal marketplace, it's very hard to deliver a great product experience in every vertical, right? Because they are so specific. And so that's one of the things that just overall you're seeing is just, you know, verticalization in the marketplace space. Um, and overall, I would say that, you know, we're, kind of in the marketplace 2.0, maybe 3.0, who knows, but uh, kind of later stages of marketplaces where it used to be sufficient to just bring a marketplace online. You know, mm -hmm. it was like just bringing the commerce, the availability of buying and selling or renting, whatever it may be online was sufficient. Uh, now it's not really sufficient to do that, to be competitive. You know, most of the things have been tackled, people are looking at it. So you really have to, you know, do a marketplace that adds more value. Whether that's, uh, and that's what I call a kind of a marketplace plus model, uh, where you add either a SaaS product, a fintech, insure tech, uh, really something else to it that drives value that wants either the supplier demand side, makes them want to come onto the platform and use it and, and remain sticky. Um, so I, I just don't think selling online is sufficient anymore or defensible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And do you think that some people don't really necessarily realize that maybe early stage founders that they think that, you know, sometimes, you know, I don't know if clients or pe people you've worked with or people you've, you know, interacted with have, have sort of thought, well, this is my idea and, and all I need to do is sort of get it up online and people are going to use it. Do you find that you have to, you know, educate people about that, how, you know, it has to be more than that? Yeah, I think. You know, I, I do think people are realizing that because many of the, you know, consumer side marketplaces have been tapped, right? So I think people are realized that, yes, you know, it's not just sufficient to sell online. There probably are still pockets of business that are largely offline that need to be brought online, but I would say they're pretty small TAMs. Uh, and, you know, so there is some education curve on how do you do something different, right? And, Really, it's like helping people understand what that looks like, you know, like successfully um, and how to go about doing that. In the B2B space, I still think there's a lot of market areas that haven't been brought online that still can be. So I think there are, you know, in that area, still uh, kind of nascent online marketplaces that are just, you know, sufficient to bring them online. Uh, but I'd say in the consumer side, you know, you largely are going to have to deliver a very differentiated experience. Mm -hmm. And in your experience outdoorsy, I believe you were you worked in product there and and revenue. That's right, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. What did you learn during your time there about um the the sort of risk management side of things and insurance? Because we talked about sort of being able to offer things alongside uh, a product and and make a marketplace more than just that that one transaction. Is this something that you that evolved when you were working with Outdoorsy? Yeah, so I think you know Outdoorsy. One of the big things overall, and, and really any car or auto, uh, you know, rental or sales uh, marketplaces, you know, insurance is required by law from a liability perspective. So you know, you know, renting it out specifically, providing insurance is really key to you know helping liquidity in the marketplace. Right? You, um, you know. It, 
breeds trust for the demand side. It also, uh, you know, ensures that the supply side feels good about letting their vehicle go out because it is insured. So there's a lot of reasons to have that insurance in the marketplace, you know, whether it be for Uber, Lyft, Outdoorsy, Airbnb, you know, it's a key part of the transaction and creating trust, um, but also liquidity in the marketplace. And so, you know, my kind of what I learned from that is that insurance is really not just a a cost center for a business, right? It's really a potential opportunity uh, where people can drive a lot of value for the marketplace, uh, but they can also turn into a revenue center. I think uh, overall, you're aggregating a set of customers, both on demand and supply side, and there's a lot of opportunity to provide them insurance products that can be really valuable to them and then also drive uh, revenue and margin for the marketplace. And that's why I always call it marketplace plus model, where it's, you know, the marketplace is doing the transaction, but you're layering on things like insurance or lending or whatever it may be to make your marketplace even better, mm-hmm. right? And uh, more liquid, right? You know, increasing yeah. the probability of transactions occurring. And when that happens, what does that mean for sites who literally only deal in in the sort of insurance that you would normally in the past have had to have got separately and outside you know you'd have to have left the i don't know the art whatever rv hire marketplace and gone and, and accessed these products what do the people who have these types of company think of marketplaces building it all in in this slick way in this sort of marketplace 3.0 world yeah well i think this is you know pretty tightly bound and kind of dovetails with the embedded insurance story that is occurring right you know demand generation insurance has always been a competitive space you see lots of uh, ads from geico progressive all these folks right uh and so embedding insurance puts things you know puts insurance at the point of sale or the point of rental wherever it may be where it's actually most probably useful for people and where the most value is added instead of more of a you know forethought that you have to go buy this insurance um, kind of thing so uh i think it's really you know traditional insurance players are embracing the idea that you know you embed insurance at the point of sale or point of rental wherever it may be and that that's really a new opportunity for them to get customers um, and then also for these marketplaces and any platform really it's a new revenue stream that they didn't otherwise have but they have an audience of people that they've already created a relationship with and can now solve other problems for them and offer other services that add value to them help them retain but also are creative in terms of revenue for the platform yeah, yeah, no, I see that. It's it's fascinating, and 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 so interesting how things have evolved and evolved so rapidly as well. What you know, in the early days when you were first working with marketplaces, what you know, what was happening around insurance then? Yeah, I think you know, nothing. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think everyone was getting comfortable with it, right? I think you look at the early days of you know Uber, Lyft, Airbnb, everyone. Uh, you know, and kind of pioneering some of these you know, guarantee policies or whatever it may be, you know, to help people get comfortable, right? And I think uh, a lot of the insurance space that was new to them, right? Um, you know, specifically, I think one area, you know, that all these things did with the sharing economy was take what traditionally were personal assets, right, and make them commercial assets. And that was a big change, right? Uh, insurance companies had basically dealt in a world where they had could delineate personal versus commercial, sell a personal policy or commercial policy. And now, you know, in the case of Uber, a driver might use their personal car to transport someone commercially. And so there was an adaptation that had to occur there. 
uh, from insurance and get them comfortable uh, amending their policies such that they could allow for the rental period. And I think that's where the, you know, the sharing economy uh, industry really boomed was creating these kinds of very bespoke policies that could be used to create you know, giant liquidity in these marketplaces um, and really become a new line of business that was, you know, I think, yeah. great for everyone. I've never really thought of it like that. The idea that you turn a, a, a personal asset into a commercial one. And it's a really interesting. I'm going to use that. Can I steal that from you? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Um, RVs, obviously, are outdoorsy. What other um, high value assets um, have you come across when you've been working in a, in your advisory role? And is it always physical assets or do you work with gig economy marketplaces as well, where it's about Mm -hmm. services? Tell me about some of the things that you've got involved with from that, in in that respect. Yeah. So I think the best part about advising, which plays to one of my, uh, you know, uh, attention maybe of like liking to see many different things at once is getting to work across all the different kinds of marketplaces out there. Right. So there's that, digital assets, there's, you know, essentially labor marketplaces, there's, you know, physical goods assets. Um, And they're all really super fun and different. You know, I think the labor market ones have their own unique challenges, right? Um, And I do, you know, I really do enjoy working on those because, you know, it's less about insurance in that case, right? Uh, And more about getting the right supply in the right place at the right time and the quality of supply uh, and a lot of those things that go into that. And I think it's also, you know, you see a lot of specialization, these labor marketplaces, focusing on nurses, uh, teachers, maybe daycare teachers specifically, um, as an example. And, you know, there are limited labor markets, uh, supply of labor. And, you know, a lot of the challenges you see there is like, how do you train and get people to retain on these platforms uh, and keep going through you? And so I think you're going to see a lot of uh, change into kind of vocational marketplaces, I would call them where you take a lot of what has traditionally happened in the, like in the, the coding space where you see code academies, um, different things like that. Uh, but seeing those pop up um, as a kind of marketplace plus model for labor markets where, you know, you may onboard teach people and then kind of guarantee them jobs to the marketplace and that they need to use you for a certain set of time. Um, so I think there's some really interesting things that are going to happen there. On the flip side, I also think these labor market uh, companies, as well as, uh, you know, um, any marketplace that aggregates people doing something is that there's just amazing opportunity uh, in providing services, um, mm-hmm. whether it be embedded insurance, embedded finance, you name it, right? This whole fintech and suretech side of the business, adding these marketplace plus models is just, it's a massive um, mm-hmm. opportunity. Do you feel that these extras that people can find on marketplaces like that, maybe particularly uh, labor related ones, helps with the issue of disintermediation or, or platform leakage because to me um you know the idea that you you're making that connection with somebody i for example um i used uh, an online tutor a language tutor during lockdown i think we we're all a bit bored you know um, <laughs> um to to do some italian because uh, you know conversation lessons and um you know once i connected with her we'd started communicating on whatsapp and i thought oh no i'm actually part of 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 disintermediation myself this is terrible but um you know presumably these extras that we're talking about 
are actually going to prevent that and make the the marketplace much more secure and able to retain yeah. is that part of it is that what you tell your clients yeah I, I think clients and non-clients anyone building a marketplace right you know if you this is why i'm saying that marketplace is just coming online isn't sufficient anymore because uh you really got to drive more value for both sides to stay within the parameters and i think you know insurance is a good example of what can keep people on the platform and not just their media in the platform is that they don't want to go outside of it because they would have to find their own insurance uh, or anything like that. And, you know, if they had to do that, it would make it much harder to do the transaction, but also a lot more risky and potentially perceived as less trustworthy. And so I think the more you can do to drive value and show value in the marketplace, not only can you increase take rates, um, but you can prevent this disintermediation. I also think, you know, disintermediation can be solved quite a bit with, marketplaces, adding on uh, kind of you know, either SaaS products or training products that embed in the business on the supply side, let's say, mm -hmm. and really allows you to have that visibility and kind of make it okay if they go on platform or off platform by, you know, taking take rate on all of their business uh, rather than just on the business they do to the marketplace. So there's, there's a number of ways to solve it. But at the end of the day, you know, being super punitive about things like doesn't necessarily solve the problem and just trying to prevent it. I think you got to drive value such that people want to be on the platform and use it and it embeds in their business such that they couldn't think of going off of it. Yeah, yeah. And do you think that from your, you've got this wonderful bird's eye view of, of, of marketplaces um, and I would love to know from you because it's something that I wonder, is there a, a sector or an industry that has yet to really be properly disrupted by the marketplace model? And, you know, if so, what is it? Because there are some, you know, I, I presume more traditional sectors or industries that, that still, you know, are, do, are doing things in quite an old-fashioned way. Do you think that some sectors maybe aren't ever going to be disrupted or do you think it's just, a, a you know, a slow-moving, more slow-moving than others? Yeah, it's a really good question in that, I think I, I always kind of quip that anything with a broker or agent model mm -hmm. probably could get disrupted. But, and there's like plenty of examples where that's still very, you know, much the norm. Um, I do think in the, the, like the B2B segment, there's just so many kind of markets that are not online yet, right? In, in the traditional sense that really are driven by, you know, brokers and agents, offline relationships. And I do think those will come online eventually. You know, they don't benefit from the same easy online payment transactions that consumer businesses have. Um, you know, there's a lot more like invoicing, net 30 kind of problems that are there. Um, and just a lot of like relationship driven businesses. So I think that whole space is super interesting to me. I, there's just a lot of really interesting businesses popping up. Um, so I've been loving watching that and working with those companies. And, you know, those businesses have the challenge of um, change is a lot harder within a B2B context. Um, you know, you create a marketplace and essentially have created a new job for someone in a company. And that's harder for people incentive wise, right? Like it's harder for people that already have a job to look at something else that's been added to their job um, and really utilize it. So I think a lot of B2B marketplaces have the challenge of how do they, they can create a great marketplace solution that's needed and loved but embedding it within business process such that there's adoption, that's a whole different story. Yeah, yeah. I also, you know, one, you know, just one last thought on this is that, you know, 
you know, marketplaces are heterogeneous in the supply side are really like essentially disaggregated, you know, very different, but also disaggregated are great in that if you can aggregate that supply, you have a very defensible moat, right? But at the same time, it's very expensive. And so there is a level of heterogeneity and disaggregation of supply such that it is too expensive to aggregate it in some way, right? Um, I don't know if that's exactly the case, but for real estate, you know, I think we all agree that there should be like online marketplaces for buying and selling there. But it just hasn't happened. You know, it's still very much a broker agent model. Um, and, you know, even my house that I bought, I didn't buy it on an online marketplace. I went and saw yeah. it with an agent and did that all offline. Yeah. Essentially. And I think in, in the US particularly, I think realtors, as you, that's what you call them, isn't it? I'd like, yep. yeah. Um, it's quite a, yeah, it's quite a traditional model. It's quite relationship building, isn't it? You have like pictures when a house is for sale with like the actual picture of the person and the name it's that's quite hard to sort of you know a change isn't it because people want to build those relationships definitely yeah I, I think it's become a, a little bit more um marketplace in in the uk but i suppose again that's interesting because it's to do with maybe sort of like you know cultures um and just ways that people do things in different countries so maybe some territories would be more you know willing to adopt a marketplace model for certain industries but others wouldn't um so yeah we'll need to uh, write a blog about that one i'm going to ask you one more quick question yeah. actually colin um and <laughs> this is what marketplaces do you use what what's what's going on um shea gardener um when it comes to marketplace because quite often i find it interesting to ask people about particularly the sharing economy if they you know if they actually um walk the the talk so to speak and uh you know it's like when you hear about how the sort of big social media founders don't even let their kids go on social media but i like <laughs> to think i like to think that we're all we're all using marketplaces what are your what are your favorites name some names yeah, I mean, I think I'm a pretty typical consumer in the sense that uh, we use, you know, uh, Airbnb, uh, you know, VRBO, uh, a, lot, a lot of these travel marketplaces to find uh, different accommodations, uh, but also, you know, Uber, Lyft for ride sharing, things like that. But I think that, you know, what we've been using a lot lately, uh, we got three kids and we got a lot of clothing and toys that people are growing out of. We've been using a, a lot of Facebook marketplace, honestly, um, yeah. which, uh, you know, leaves a, a big, you know, a lot of room for you know, improvement on that sense. Um, but uh, yeah. overall, that's kind of like the big things that we use. Um, yeah, no, that's interesting because I think that people are, and I've used Facebook Marketplace for, for kids stuff and, and uh, there's a few uh, kids resale platforms coming through in the in the UK and I think they're sensing a need because, you know, people are coming off Facebook and and um, people some people don't like using it. So I, th I think there's a space there for a, a big mover when it comes to kids clothes and equipment. So that's um, good to hear and uh, really interesting. Thank you, Colin. It's been a pleasure chatting to you and, and welcome to our advisory board as well. And we look forward to seeing you at some in-person events and hopefully getting you involved in some virtual events as well. But this was great to kick off and it's um, really interesting to hear about all the, the knowledge that you've accrued over the years. So thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm very thrilled uh, to be on the board and excited to be back in in-person events. It's like, it feels like it's been too long. So I'm excited. Definitely. shake some hands and have some fun brilliant thank you colin 
Thank you for tuning into the Platform Podcast. Be sure to check us out at marketplacerisk.com for information and resources to help startups launch, grow, and succeed. And follow us on social media at Marketplace Risk to stay up to date on all of our conferences, summits, virtual events, and more.